0: Well, we've been talking about 10-10-80. It's how to have financial peace in your life. And a lot of us, that's a big struggle. We talked about how many Americans uh, had cried in the last month or six weeks or two months over finances. Maybe you're one of those. But we've been talking about that a little bit. So I want to talk to you about the 80% today, and, and we'll review a little bit too. Ariana Grande had a a big hit uh, just a while back uh, called Seven Rings, how many of you heard it? Yeah, about three, okay, that's good. (laughs) She had some relationship drama in her life, you know. Pete Townsend broke up with her. She took her six best friends to Tiffany's, they did some retail therapy, she bought them all rings and she bought herself a ring, therefore seven rings and she wrote a song about it and like David Dunn. I'm going to sing it for you. (laughs) Breakfast at Tiffany's and bottles of bubbles. Girls with tattoos who like getting in trouble. Lashes and diamonds, ATM machines. Buy myself all of my favorite things. Yeah. And then the chorus. My wrist, stop watching. My neck is flossing. Make big deposits, my gloss is popping. You like my hair? She thanks. Just bought it. I see it. I like it. I want it. I got it. That song will never be the same for you. But here's the thing. That last line, I see it. I like it. I want it. I got it. That kind of defines us a lot in in America, doesn't it? It might be a good line for a song, I don't know, but for financial peace, not so much. And uh, you know, we all might wanna live like Ariana Grande, but on a limited budget. That might not happen for you, right? Might be a real challenge. I didn't learn my lesson at Tiffany's, but I did learn a lesson early in my marriage. Not long after Laura and I got married, a credit card came that, came with a $2,000 loan. They just stuck it right in your account in the bank with the card, you know, when you got it. It was like Christmas for, for me. I mean, we were just, it was so hard to, to get by. And all of a sudden, an extra $2,000, the interest rate was just a measly 28%. And, you know, I should have, probably my first clue should have been that it was from the Loan Charts of America credit union, you know, but. Uh, you know how actors always say break a leg their their theme was something like that we'll break your legs or something you know but it, it was it was kind of scary because that thing as excited as I was when I got it, it became like a noose around my neck and I would try to pay it off and try to pay it. I, you know usually I end up paying the minimum after two years of paying the minimum you know what I owed on my card two thousand two hundred and fifty dollars so more than I started with I mean that's how how bad it was and that happens a lot to us in life. Finally, I, I crawled to my father-in-law in humiliation, asked him if I could borrow the money before I you know, owed him, I mean, owed them $10,000. And he graciously loaned me the money at 27% interest. No, he didn't charge me interest. But I, I mean, it was humiliating. And I finally got out of it. But the whole idea of I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it, it's great for a song, but not so much for life. So we have to use some wisdom. We've been talking about 10, 10, 80. We're dividing up our finances in percentages. If finances are tight, the tendency is to think I need more money. I need to go get another job. I need to work over here and get some extra money. And for some of us that might be true, but for most of us, if we're really honest, the real issue is not income, but spending. And millennials, I think that you are an amazing generation. It's in, uh, there's never been change like this in the history of the world. You've adapted to it. But it is so easy, isn't it, to think, I want to live like my parents do, right off the bat. And you don't realize how long it took them to get there. We don't think about that. So uh, we want it overnight. And all of us do that. All of us do that in, in, in different ways. I realized early in my life I had a spending problem more than an income Problem. And if I could get my spending problem under control, it would bring a lot more peace into my life. And so I want to talk to you this morning about how to get a handle on that, because I want you to spend in a way that blesses you rather than breaks you. Let me say that again. I want you to spend your money in a way that blesses you rather than breaks you. So we're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes today, the wisest man lived, Who ever lived, Maybe the wealthiest man who ever lived. He was right up there in the top four or five for sure of the wealthiest men of all time. I want you to, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter five, or you can open up your little worship guide there because I got it there for you. There will also be notes on the screen. But this guy knew all about money and what it meant. His name was Solomon. He was the wisest, maybe wealthiest man who ever lived, and he said this. Those who love money will never have enough. Now that's something to put up on your mirror, isn't it? You know, put it on your bathroom mirror. Money's not bad. But if you, if you love it disproportionately, you'll never have enough of it. Then look at what he says. How meaningless to think that wealth can bring true happiness. Now, one of the things that's fascinating about this statement to me. It was made almost 3,000 years ago. And it's backed up by the latest neuroscience and psychology and psychiatry of the last 10 years, the happiness research. It says once your basic needs are met for food, shelter, water, clothing, there's little correlation. That The curve begins to flatten out really fast. Once you get past a certain amount of money, it starts to flatten out your happiness level, having that money. Solomon goes on, the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth? Except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. It's so true, the more you have, the more people come around and wanna help you spend it. Ariana Grande has six friends. They love to help her spend her money. She bought them all rings at Tiffany's. MC Hammer doesn't have any friends. Why? He went broke. Some of you are looking like MC Hammer, who's that? <laughs> right, we can't touch this, right? <laughs> Hammer time. So how do we manage our life in a way that's too legit to, qu- I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> At least a greater financial freedom. That's what we've been talking about. That's what I, I, I wanna continue with today. The first principle is so common sense, but so few people do it, are you ready? Number one, spend less than you earn. Spend less than you earn. I saw this image of a guy who pulled into his driveway. Can you put that up there? Yeah, and uh, this is what he saw when he pulled into his driveway and he just totally freaked out. Now it was an April Fool's joke, empty boxes, okay? His wife had been saving them and gotten her family to save and they put them all together and piled them up. He was pretty shaken up. All right. But you know, we talked about how one click is not your friend. Alexa might not necessarily be your friend. I read this week about a 6-year-old girl in Dallas that started talking to her family's new Amazon Echo Dot, you know, and she she talked about cookies in a dollhouse and according to GeekWire, Alexa reportedly misunderstood, you know, the conversation and ordered 7 pounds of cookies and $170 dollhouse. Amazing, and and then it kind of went around viral on the internet what had happened and California television station channel CW6 broadcasted a news segment on it and according to Quartz Media, when TV anchor Jim Patton said, I love that the little girl said, Alexa, order me a dollhouse. Alexa's lit up in houses all over California and ordered dollhouses. It's like, ordered, you know? It's amazing. So it's not uncommon when we think about how we live life and how easy it is to spend everything that we've got and then go into debt, right? Borrow even more so we can cover those expenses. I know it sounds basic. Spend less than you earn. But in our culture today, I think we need to be reminded spending less than you earn is going to be the path to financial peace in your life, to give you some margin in life. Now we all come to money from different perspectives. We come from different families and depending on the family that you grew up in, it shaped your view of money. You know anyone that grew up in the Great Depression? Maybe some of you know someone that grew up in the Great Depression and it was like, it. oh, the way they viewed money was so different than how we view it today. I mean, like for Christmas, they would get like one orange, you know? And that was the whole Christmas and how they thought about it. I was a saver as a little kid, but my mom would always, you know, go into my little saving jar and get lunch money for school and put an IOU in there. And I don't remember getting paid back really, you know, I was thinking about that might need some therapy mom, but, um, you know, and so I became a spender, you know, I thought I'd spend it before she did. And, uh, when we got married, I, uh, Told Laura, you know, I love to spend. She loved to save, and I said, "Honey, it, you're just going to end up with a with a lot of like empty IOUs." You know, it's just going to be, and and it just your perspective, however you grew up, is skewed by that. But ten ten eighty is how we manage the stuff in our life that leads to financial peace. It's based on proven biblical principles that believers have used for ages to help them manage the stuff in their lives just a little review you remember the first 10 what do you do with the first 10 okay okay it goes to God right it's called the tithe not because the church needs money or God needs money but because God says this is how I know that you understand that I've owner of all of it that I'm in charge of all of it and again don't get all legalistic start somewhere take baby steps You know, maybe you wanna give 1% to God's kingdom or 2% or 3%, but start somewhere. You know how we do communion and it's a reminder of what Jesus did on the cross for us and Jesus said, do that often. We do it every week. It's the same thing with the tithe. That's what it's about. It's not about God needing our money. It's about our hearts and it's like God, he likes to give us like these physical things to do to remember things. God, it all belongs to you. It's all yours. And it's also how he makes a difference around the globe in all the things that we're doing, fighting poverty and sex trafficking and all the things that are happening. Last week, we talked about your saving power. You know, what I have found is when I do the first 10% with God, 90% with God in me is a whole lot better than 100% me. And he does amazing miracles. But then the next, what do you do? The next 10%? Pay yourself, Right. So you pay yourself. You try to get in a place in your life where you're giving at least 10% back to yourself in savings because that's what's gonna enable you to do the dreams that you have. That's what's gonna give you the margin that you need. And if you missed that message, go back to next last week and, and grab that for free off the internet and look at that because we talked about the debt snowball, a whole lot of things that are really important to be able to begin to do that because you're going, ah, oh, that looks impossible. I don't know if I... I can do it. Remember, we talked about how the research in the last 20 years is so interesting that millionaires in America, four out of five are self-made. Most people didn't get their millions from inheritance. They made it themselves. And the average age of a new millionaire is 62. And for the majority of people who've amassed over a million dollars in their life, they built it slowly over time. If we're going to accumulate savings, it's going to be amassed Slowly over time. Remember, you have like one in 325 million chance of winning the lottery. And everybody goes, well, there's always a shot, right? You know, but that's what we do in America. And some of us, that's our game plan for retirement. The lottery, not gonna happen. Men, let me just tell you, a week from Thursday, we're having an amazing businessman, one of the most successful businessmen in America, uh, Archie Dunham is gonna come and speak to us at Men of COF. And I know the the Texans are playing that same night. We'll watch them on the big screen right after. So don't worry. We'll all be there together. But um, I went with Archie to Washington. To the Horatio Alger Awards it was called. It it was rags to riches. And they were honoring people who started in poverty. And ended up wealthy. And wealthy philanthropists. Making a difference in, in the world around us. And it 's funny because you know as i 've gotten to know Archie really well because he is my wife 's father, that makes him my father in law the one that I' borrowed at twenty seven percent interest from you know but he he 's just this amazing man, and i 've watched him in these he 's going to share with us guys principles for living, principles for business, and what enabled him to get ahead and do what he had done is he obeyed god 's principles for his life, but I remember when Archie was before he became like the chairman of Phillips and, and, and CEO of Conoco and all that stuff, it, um, he, he was one of the executive vice presidents and there were these five spots with cars in them for the top five people in all of Conoco and he was one of those guys. And, and I, I remember going there and I saw, one was a Bentley with a driver standing beside it, one was like a Ferrari and, and then there was like this you know really cool decked out Mercedes and, and then there was a Toyota Corolla that was 10 years old. That was Archie's car, you know? And it was so funny, but here's really what the Bible says. Are you ready? You can act rich or you can be rich. You can act rich or you can be rich. I learned that from Archie. Look what Proverbs says. One pretends he's wealthy, but has nothing. While another seems to be poor, but has great wealth. Have you ever known people that didn't have anything but... You thought they did because of the lifestyle that they lived and then you find out later how in debt they are and that that amazing car you know that they're leasing for more than a house payment you know stuff like that i had a guy one time he came and 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 he said i need the church to help me on my car payment and i said well how much is it we want to make sure that we can help you maybe with that if we could and and he said sixteen hundred dollars a month and I said, buddy, I think you need to get a new car, you know? I mean, a different car, some kind of old car. You could buy a car for $1,600, you know, but uh, it, it's, it, it's important. A lot of times when things get difficult, the, the temptation is to think, I've got to play better offense. I, I need to get more money coming in. And who doesn't love a good offense? Astros, right? Oh, you guys are going, oh, it's too early for that, Right. World Series, oh, it was just so frustrating. But what happened to the Stros in those four games? I can tell you in just two words. Scherzer and Strasburg happened to them, all right? Those are the pitchers for the Nationals, and they're two of the best pitchers that have ever been in the game, and they just shut us down. All four games. We lost all four games pitched by those two, and we won all three games not pitched, because defense beats Offense in almost any sport. Anytime I was watching Oklahoma play last night, you know I'm a Sooner fan. We lost last week. I was, or two weeks ago, I was heartbroken. Uh, don't clap. I heard that. <laughs> I saw you too. I know who it is. And 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 uh, you know, last night we're playing, and man, we almost lost again to Iowa State because we just have no defense. It's like fourth and twenty, and they make it. You know, and I'm like, this is terrible. You got to play. Some defense. I know defense is boring. When Laura and I first went to the mission field, we went to Costa Rica before Mexico City, and we were going to study language for a while. And I went to my first professional soccer game. Now, you young ones, you all love to play soccer, football there, you know, and and, and but I, I didn't grow up doing that. That wasn't my experience. And and so we watched this whole game. It took forever. And it was zero to zero at the end of the game and everyone walked out of the stadium and said, what a great game. <laughs> and I said, are you kidding me? That was like 90 minutes of nothing, you know, I, 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 nobody, there was nothing, no scoring. And then, and then at the end I thought, well, finally it's over. And the, like the referee guy added four more minutes of nothing for no reason. I don't even know what's going on. but." The thing It's true in your financial life. A lot of us focus all on offense and we're we're gonna get a better job, get a raise, climb the ladder. I hope you do. But it won't make a long-term difference if you don't figure your defense out. Defense isn't fun, but it's important. I know that talking about money stuff, spending and saving is not a lot of fun, but it's so important. It's the path to some semblance of financial peace. So here's my second thought. For this morning, number two, use debt wisely, sparingly. You know we live in a debt-driven culture. Maybe you've received a, a letter at your house like this. Mark, see, these people know me. You're smart. You're confident. You're successful. They they really know me. In light of your established history, we would like to offer you a twelve thousand dollar line of credit. We know that you'll make your payments on time. You'll keep your balance under your credit limit, and you will not have any payments returned. Mark Shook, you are going to get transfer services absolutely free. No interest for 90 days. Fixed interest on every purchase, every time forever, because you deserve it. Yes, I do. (laughs) Plus, there's more good news. Every time you spend $1, there's two membership reward option points. I don't even know what that is, but I love it, too, for every one. And not only that, the best of all, there's no limit to the number of points. You would think they would cap those little suckers, but they don't. You can just keep earning those reward points. You just spend more dollars and you get more. I don't know what you do with them still, but they're amazing. Then on a separate sheet of paper in little print, because... It's obviously not very important. It mentions that if I forget or fall behind to make the payment, that the interest rates could change a little bit, like triple, you know, on the card because that won't happen, though, because I'm smart and confident and successful. We all get those, don't we? And I got into trouble with that. I understand the pressure of that. And some of you are reeling under debt right now. You're just, I mean, it's over mean you, if you're an average American, it is. It's kind of like that closet that you have in your house. You know the one where you just stuff everything. And, and then every once in a while you open it and think I need to clean this out. And you go, no, I don't, just shut it, right? That's your financial life. It's like, I don't wanna open that closet. I don't wanna look at that. I know it's hard, but let me tell you, just as your friend this morning, what's really hard is being deep in debt. What's really hard is... Fearing every time the phone rings it's another creditor. What's really hard is running from the repo guy, you know? And and, and that's what's hard. It's gonna be hard either way. But the way that we're talking about, the Bible talks about will give you financial peace. In fact, the Bible is so strong, it says this, the rich lord it over the poor, the borrower is the slave of the lender. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? Slave to the lender, but just miss a few payments and see how you feel about that. You begin to see that, you know, they actually own a part of the relationship. That's why the Bible's real clear about not loaning to good friends and stuff because it changes the dynamic. Last week we talked about that debt snowball. So if you're in debt, go back and get that, begin to see how to get out pay the credit card with the lowest amount on it and pay that off, get some momentum started. Remember, we talked about that. Number three, and this is where I really want to focus down at the end here, spend for real value. Spend for real value. That's what David Dunn was talking about in his song, finding real value. Solomon again in Ecclesiastes says, even so, I've noticed one thing at least that is good. It's good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. That's important. Don't get the wrong idea. I hope you make a lot of money. I hope you enjoy it. Wealth is a gift from God. If you can have what God gives you and enjoy it, that's a win. He goes on, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. I think God wants us to enjoy what he provides and has provided for us in life. That's the framework of taking the first 10% and giving it back to him saying all of it's yours, the second 10% paying yourself and getting that margin and living on the 80%. But when you spend, remember I want you to spend on a way that blesses you and doesn't break you. I want you to spend for value. Don't spend for status. That's where we spend stuff we don't have to impress people we don't like, right? I want you to spend for value because You learn God's values. Like, If you value travel, for example, you save your money and maybe you live in a smaller house and drive a cheaper car so you can travel, so you can enjoy your life. I think what Solomon is saying, you don't have to have it all to get the most out of life. We've forgotten about those simple experiences. When I get depressed, I go work out. I'm depressed a lot, you know, and... I'm actually a member of two gyms, whatever that tells you, right? And and it's like, kind of like my psychotherapy sometimes. And uh, I went to LA Fitness the other day and I was feeling down and feeling like God, you know, had forgotten about me. And, and, and as I was getting ready to walk in, I looked up in the sky and it was the most incredible sunset. And deep down in my heart, in my spirit, it was like God spoke to me, son, I did that just for you. I haven't forgotten you. And I stood out in front of LA Fitness for like five minutes, just stood there looking at the sun, and everybody's looking to see what I'm looking at, you know? And I said, oh, don't mind me, that's my sunset. (laughs) God did that for me, he hasn't forgotten me. And they didn't think I was weird, and they walked on in. And I thought, just that moment, that didn't cost anything. But God was reminding me in the sunset how much he loved me, relationships That's what matters. Those are the things that matter. It's the simple things in life most of the time. If we could just remind ourselves, God allows things in our life. He puts things in our life. Ray Pritchard writes this. He said, my wife and I ate lunch with some friends who were visiting from another state. When we started the meal, the thought passed through my mind that the husband looked more relaxed than I'd seen him in a long time. I soon learned the reason for his calm demeanor. He had heard a minister suggest a simple prayer for the beginning of each new day, and he challenged his hearers to pray this prayer for 21 days straight. My friend said he had been doing it for months now. At this point, his wife chimed in to say, it's made a drastic difference in his life. Before he started praying the prayer, he had always come home tense over things that had happened to him during the day, but now he comes home relaxed and in a good mood. As I listened, I thought, what kind of prayer could this be? He explained that for him, the key to the prayer was saying at the moment, that he wakes up. The prayer itself is the essence of simplicity. I wrote it down there for you. In your worship guide. Heavenly Father. You're in charge of everything that is going to happen to me today. Whether it be good or bad. Positive or negative. Please make me thankful for everything. That happens to me. Today. Amen. And I think Solomon would heartily approve of those. Sentiments. And what. What. Ray Pritchard's friend told him was he said what I found is this prayer makes all the difference not because it changes my outward circumstances but because it changes everything inside of me and it changes the way I look at life have you ever read the little book of Haggai I'll just close with this you probably didn't even know it was in the bible Haggai he's one of the minor prophets they don't say that because he was a lesser prophet they say it because it's a small book in the bible And it's kind of hidden back there in the Old Testament, but it's all about what happens when God's people decide that money's more important than God. Let me just read you a little from Haggai 1, 6. You've planted a large crop, but your harvest is small. You have food to eat, but it's never enough to satisfy. You have something to drink, but you're never filled. You have clothes to wear, but they're not enough to keep you warm. You earn a salary, but the money runs out quickly as if there are, are holes in your pocket, picturesque phrase like you earn a salary, but it's like you you put it in a pocket with holes in it. This is the law of the unproductive harvest, and it's going to happen to us over and over and over until we step into God's principles for us with finances. See, the the, the Bible actually says when you don't walk in God's principles, it, it puts it really strongly. It says. You need to understand God is not mocked. You can't live outside of his principles and go, hey, uh, that's just the way it's working great for me. God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow, the Bible says. And that's really living in his principles. He knows where you live. He knows how to reach you there. Joyce Baldwin speaks of the moral paralysis that keeps us from obeying God. She said, we know what God wants us to do, but we don't want to do it. And and so it keeps us stuck, and we can't go forwards or backwards in our life. We're we're just kind of stuck in this permanent, spiritual, neutral, miserable, unfulfilled. I think when it comes to spending decisions, you can have a lot of stuff that ultimately doesn't matter, or you can make sure what you're spending on has lasting value. I love what Nadine Stair wrote, at the end of a long life. Listen to what she said. If I had my life to live over, I'd dare to make more mistakes next time. I'd relax. I would limber up. I would be sillier than I have been this trip. I would take fewer things seriously. I would take more chances. I would climb more mountains, swim more rivers. I would eat more ice cream and less beans. I would perhaps have more actual troubles, but I'd have fewer imaginary ones. You see, I'm one of those people, she says, who live sensibly and sanely hour after hour, day after day. Oh, I've had my moments. And if I had it to do over again, I'd have more of them. In fact, I'd try to have nothing else, just moments. One After another, instead of living so many years ahead of each day, I've been one of those persons who never goes anywhere without a thermometer, a hot water bottle, a raincoat, and a parachute. If I had it to do again, I would travel lighter than I have. If I had my life to live over, I would start barefoot earlier in the spring and stay that way later in the fall. I would go to more dances. I would ride more merry-go-rounds. I would pick more daisies. You don't have to have it all. To get the most out of life, you start with baby steps—just baby steps. God's not going. You're not giving ten percent. I'm going to, you know. He says, start somewhere—a baby step. Begin to give to Him. Start in the baby steps of savings, one or two percent, if it takes that. Begin to live on that eighty-six percent or eighty-eight percent or ninety-two percent. What? And then bring it down. Baby steps that we that we take together. Some of you are going, I don't know. I I just don't think I can do it. I mean, I've tried this before. I want you to do it differently this time. I was talking to a guy in my office who had been struggling with addiction. And and I told him, I said, you know what? You've tried and you've tried. You have to give up. And he goes, I don't get it. What do you mean? I, I, I feel like I need to try harder. You've tried harder. I need you to step into a relationship with Christ and give him all of you and then say, Christ, empower me. See, here's the interesting thing. When we talk about what Jesus did on the cross, one of his last words that he spoke, and he yelled it out, he pulled himself up on the nails so everyone could hear, and he said in a loud voice, the Bible says, Tetelestai, Tetelestai. He called it out, and all of our versions, usually, you know, they, they interpret it in English, it is finished. And that's true, it says that, but it's really so much deeper than that. Did you know that when someone had a debt and they were paying on it little by little, when it finally got paid off, they would take a big stamp and go, die on it, paid in full. That's what it means. That's what Jesus was saying. He said, I came that you might have life and have it in abundance, not just Make it through, not just squeak by to tell us, I've paid it in full. Will you lean into Him and His power for this? Would you get on your knees first thing in the morning and say, God, I've tried it my way. Now I want to do it your way. God, I give myself completely to you. You can even do that in this service, you can start it and then just live in that journey. To become a believer, that's what you do. You say simply, Jesus, I give you all of me. And I wanna live in all that you have for me and all that you want for me. And I wanna live in your principles. I give you myself. I receive what you did for me on the cross when you paid my debt in full. And then watch God's power begin to move as you take the next small right step. I wanna pray that for you, okay? Let me pray it over you this morning. Father, everyone within the sound of my voice, whether online or right here in this place, I ask for them in the name of Jesus. All that He did on the cross for them, I claim it for them. God, we've lived too long under these, the slavery of, uh, of debt, and you want us to get out from under this, and so we will. By your strength and by your power, step into all that you have for us. We give our lives over to you. We give our stuff over to you. It's all yours anyway. And God, we receive what you did for us on the cross. And we step into that. And we will step into that each morning. God, I know if we fall on our face one day, you're just going to pick us up and dust us off and say, come on, little boy. Come on, little girl. You can do this. Keep going. And then we'll start fresh but we're gonna get there and I claim that I say come kingdom of God upon us be done will of God over us in our financial lives let nothing stop what you have for us in Jesus name amen